Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Everything New York Giants podcast. My name is Adriana, also known as New York Giants Fangirl on Instagram and TikTok. I am joined with Lance Meadow today. Very excited to have him on. He is the Sirius XM sports host. He's the Giants radio network host, Columbia Lions, and Westwood sports play-by-play caller. So Lance is all over. He knows everything that you need to know about of course, Giants football, but also the NFL, NBA, college football, everything. So um, obviously the main focus with today's podcast is going to be talking about the Giants. So with that said, welcome, Lance. Um, let's get into the current state of the Giants. So they're coming off their bye week. They're 6-2. and two. A lot of really good things that we saw in the first eight games. Obviously, a lot of things that need to be worked on. But I think overall, as a fan from, you know, speaking for myself, I feel pretty optimistic about this team and feel like they are exceeding my expectations every week. And, you know, I feel like for the first time in a long time, we have an upward trajectory and feeling positive about the future. So I kind of just wanted your overall thoughts. And then I have a couple questions for you. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Pleasure being on with you. Always good to talk Giants football as well as all other sports. I'm looking forward to seeing what you'll bring up over the course of this conversation. But to get back to the topic at hand, yeah, I would agree with you. I think the Giants have exceeded expectations to win six of their first eight, considering also it's been all one-scoring games for the most part, with the Mm -hmm. exception of really the Seahawks game, which they had right before the bye. And the reason I bring that up, when you play so many close games, the margin for error is minute. You have to have the ball bounce your way. You have to have a lot of things go right. And to the Giants' credit, it has gone right. I think the coaching staff has done a really good job bringing out the most out of this talent group in terms of their ability to protect Daniel Jones on offense and have mm-hmm. him make good decisions, protect the football. On defense, Wink Martindale has tapped in to the bulk of the roster. He's not necessarily relying on one guy. He's tailoring his game plan to each opponent. So. You go in, you play the Giants, you don't know what they have up their sleeve. So I think the coaching staff deserves a lot of credit. But all in all, if you would have told most people they're going to win six of their first eight games, I'm sure pretty much the entire Giants fan base would say, I'm going to run to the bank and I'm going to try to get some return on that investment because that is unreal. They're not going to offer me this interest rate any more so beyond. So, yeah, all in all, very positive over the first half of the season. I don't think there's anything to doubt that. Definitely. And, you know, you mentioned the coaching staff, and I think that has been a huge storyline this year. It's really incredible, especially with so many young players and rookies on the team and the amount of playing time they're getting, the fact that, you know, they are getting so much playing time, but they're also really stepping up to the plate and playing really well. So I heard Mike Kafka say today, you know, that over the bye week, they tried to figure out some ways to kind of get the ball moving on the offense a little bit faster. Now, obviously we've seen that throughout the first eight games or so, they rarely have scored in the first quarter. So in your opinion, from what you've seen, what do you think is going to make the biggest difference in this team moving the ball forward in the first half in scoring off the bat and just moving down the field? Yeah, I think right now that's a bit of their Achilles heel. And I think that's a product of the lack of explosiveness in the passing game. And this is what Seattle exposed out of the Giants. And this is what I'm interested to see in the second half of the season. Seattle contained the Giants' rushing attack. They made the Giants have to really rely on the air. And we know, given the limitations in terms of the receiving core and 
Daniel Jones and not wanting to press the envelope, it's hard. It's hard to really get through an entire game where you're manufacturing the bulk of your offense and the bulk of your points on the ground. So in order to get off to some faster starts, and most important, just get the point total up. Remember, mm -hmm. they're just over 20 points a game. That's only about a three-point boost from last season. Hard to win games when you hover around that. You'd like to see somebody in this receiving core step up. Will Kenny Galladay return and not just be on the field, but will he make plays? I think that's the million-dollar question. He at mm -hmm. least can make those contested catches. He's not a burner, but maybe he gets a 15-yard catch, a 17-yard catch, and that can alleviate what they need on the ground. Then you look at Wondell Robinson, who has shown some flashes, but he's been banged up. If he's mm -hmm. in the lineup more consistently, he's, to me, their best bet at explosive plays. And that's what they need. They need the 20 yarders, whether it's a 20 yard pass or a catch and run. That to me is going to take this Giants offense to the next level. You can't expect to continue to have 13 play, 14 play drives for 80 to 90 yards, avoid mistakes and finish. You're asking for a lot under those circumstances. Yeah. And I know there's there's been mixed feelings, you know, about Galladay and everything like that. But I do, I feel optimistic that he's going to come back and he is going to make some plays and be a key help to this offense. Um, so I'm excited to see what he can bring. Now, Dable and Shane signed a new wide receiver from the Bills, Isaiah Hodgins, earlier this week. Do you think there's any shot that with Richie James still being in concussion protocol that we see him on Sunday? Or do you think that Galladay is really going to step in where Richie James would have been? Well, I think they're two different style players, so I'm not necessarily sure that Galladay takes the role of exactly what Richie James was doing. As far as Hodgins is concerned, Hodgins was with Buffalo. So he does have some familiarity with what they're running. Mike Kafka actually spoke about this earlier today when he said it's just a matter of it's a different verbiage with respect mm -hmm. to the language. But he understands the concepts and he seems to have caught on quite well. So, yeah, I think you may see him against the Houston Texans. I would not necessarily rule that out. I think there's a very good chance Galladay gets back on the field. I think he's trending in the right direction. So mm -hmm. you may see a combination of both. Remember, when Galladay was healthy, there were games where he'd play five snaps, and then there were games where all of a sudden he'd play 20 snaps. It fluctuated because they mm -hmm. don't necessarily lean on one guy in particular. To me, Richie James's absence may be more of a special teams conversation than necessarily mm -hmm. a wide receiver conversation, mainly because they've been utilizing so many different guys. And here's another name to watch out for in the second half of the season. He's put together a really nice group of games is Darius Slayton, mm -hmm. who's really started to get more and more comfortable. So Here's the thing. Can the Giants get to a point where Darius Slayton is reliable, Wondell Robinson now back, and Kenny Galladay? If you could get that trio on mm -hmm. the field for X amount of games, now we're talking about at least a core that you can work with. And then guys like Hodgins and Richie James can be those complementary pieces, not to mention the usage of the tight ends as well. Yeah. And I think that's something we saw last or um, against Seattle definitely was an issue was the lack of Daniel Bellinger. Now he is seems like he recovered OK from surgery. He was back with the media today. Um, we don't know when he's going to be back, but I'm, I'm excited to have him back on the field. I think it's going to make a big difference. But I want to get into the defense a little bit because obviously we know what happened with Xavier McKinney during the bye week. But You've been with the Giants for over 14 years. So you have been here throughout the whole duration that Julian Love has been here. And 
both Dable and Julian announced that he is going to take over the defensive play calling and he's going to wear the green dot on his helmet. But I want to hear from your perspective, having been in the building during his whole tenure, have you noticed a big shift in him in last year where he stepped up and really become a leader on the team? Or is this some, has he always been like that and we just haven't really seen it develop or we haven't seen it from a fan perspective until this year where he really has played the bulk of the snaps. He's been all over the field. He's been, you know, doing everything that he can as a teammate to help them win. I think it comes down to opportunity. It's a great question. It's about when the opportunity is presented your way, do you capitalize? I think Julian loves a great example Mm -hmm. of taking full advantage of that because remember, When he first came in, he was playing behind a bunch of veterans. And also, he had that versatility where you could put him at safety, you could play him at corner. I remember he had his first interception in Chicago during one of his early years in his career. And then all of a sudden, you started to see, okay, they rely on this guy to take on multiple roles within games. And whenever a player has gotten hurt, they've easily turned to him. Brian Dable, I believe, early in the season, if you recall, he referred to him as like duct tape because anytime they had an issue, You'd literally whip out him and then, you know, you'd plug him in and he'd make sure that he filled the void. So I think that's where he shows his true value. As far as the leadership component, Julian's not a rah-rah guy. He's not a boisterous, loud guy. And I think we sometimes mistake in leadership, which is only synonymous with vocal players. Mm -hmm. Sometimes players can be very strong leaders, but they speak through their play. They don't necessarily speak through how great of a soundbite they give to the media. Julian's that type of guy. When you ask him questions, he's going to give you very insightful answers. But I think players respect him because at the end of the day, he produces when he's out on the field. So I think the reason why he's getting the notoriety and people are now taking notice is, once again, they've thrown him into a variety of spots. Wink Martindale speaks highly of him. Mm -hmm. When he actually spoke to the media earlier today, he said, I'm not worried about McKinney being out meaning we're going to give the green dot helmet to Julian Love and everything's going to be fine because I have full confidence that Love understands how to communicate with the guys on the back end and the front end. So I don't think they're going to miss a beat with respect to that because Julian Love, here's the other thing that's notable about him. He's played in a lot of defenses with the Giants over the years. It's not easy when a young player has to adapt to new schemes. That Mm -hmm. has not held him back. You could argue maybe he didn't get a lot of playing time, but the one thing that's always noticeable about him is Regardless of the scheme, regardless of the system, whatever they put on his plate, he's risen to the occasion. So I think that says a whole lot about how far he's developed as a player. Yeah. And from from what I've seen from him, and I'm not Joe Shane, but in my opinion, I feel like he's earned himself a separate a second contract. Do you sure. think that we can expect to see that this year? Do you think it's it really depends on how the next nine game goes like it probably does for Jones and Saquon? Yeah, I don't think anybody's going to get an extension in the midst of the season, if that's Mm -hmm. what you're inferring. After the season, sure. I think everybody's under consideration. Love, once again, you tap into his skill set. You look at what Wink thinks of him. I'm sure Joe Shane is going to have a conversation with the coaching staff at the end of the season and say, okay, hey, here's the players that have expiring contracts. What did you make of them as you were working with them in year one? And get their feedback, because the worst thing Mm -hmm. you could do at the end of the day is retain a player and the coaching staff is like, what am I supposed to do with this guy? I don't think Wink is asking himself about that with respect to Julian Love. Right now, to answer your question, I think he's done enough. I don't Mm -hmm. think the next nine games is going to provide an earth shattering moment for Joe Shane where he sees the light and he says, (laughs) okay, now we got to sign this guy on the dotted line. 
Daniel Jones, I don't know if we're there yet. I think you could argue you want to see a little bit more in the second half of the season. And mm-hmm. Barkley, clearly he's done very well. But with Barkley, it's more of can he hold up durability-wise? Right. Can that health factor get a check mark in that box? So I think everybody's at a different wavelength to mm-hmm. answer your question. But Love has proven, I think, that he has value regardless of the scheme and regardless of where he is in terms of his career. Yeah. I think he's been a great uh, giant. I'm excited. I hope he gets to stay on. Um, I want to move over to special teams for a second because I feel like when everyone talks about special teams, it's all about Graham Gano. And Graham Gano deserves all of the praise in the world for being Mr. Automatic. But Jamie Gillen is having a really great year. And I'm sure that Jeff Fiegel speaks highly of him, but <laughs> do you do you think he's a little bit underrated? I I feel like he's he's really having a great year. He stepped up, he's improved every week. And I, I feel like he deserves a little bit more credit. Yeah, punters are the forgotten players. Just ask once again, Jeff Fiegel, yeah. who you brought up. I mean, he'll tell you they're talked about when things go wrong, but when mm-hmm. everything goes right. You don't notice them. Very similar to the offensive line, right? When the offensive right. line is great, you don't talk about those guys. When mm-hmm. things are going downhill, you talk about them. So I think Jamie Gillen, to your point, fits that bill. We're mm-hmm. not talking about him because he's taking care of business. He's doing his right. job. So as a result, you don't necessarily need to highlight him every single game. And that's exactly what you want out of a punter. I say this. Punters can be weapons, which is, I think, what you were getting at. They can shift field position. Mm-hmm. They can alleviate the defense. They can alleviate the offense. So, yeah, those things, sometimes they go unnoticed. But you take, for example, a team like the Giants. We were talking about they have not had a lot of explosive plays. They haven't been extremely dangerous through the air. So at the end of the day, if you're going to have to put together 10, 11 play drives and the bulk of it is coming on the ground, if as a punter you could shorten the field to maybe have to only go – 55 yards. I mean, that is huge. And the same thing in terms of telling your defense, you have 80 yards to defend as opposed to the opposing offense now only has to go half the field. Those dynamics play out. I mean, I don't want to get off topic, but another team that you mentioned at the top that I cover, I call play-by-play for Columbia. They've had their fair share of issues in the punting game all season. It's come back to bite them. Now they have found the player who has helped solidify that. It was a huge difference in terms of their last win against Harvard. So my point is, NFL, college, high school, the punter is a weapon. You Mm -hmm. just want to make sure that they're doing their job so you don't talk about them. And yes, Gillen deserves credit, but I think it's fantastic that we're not talking about him. We should not be focusing our conversation (laughs) on the punter of an NFL team. Tell you right. That. Well, and I think that's that's one of the differences from last year compared to this year is last oh, yeah. year there there was a lot that went wrong, but the punting was part of it. So it was all included in the mix. And this year it feels like a lot is going right. And part of it is the punting. And that's why we're not talking about it. Yeah, I think that's a great point, because how many times did we talk about this last season where you needed to pin the opposition mm-hmm. within the 10, the ball bounced into the end zone? It was a touchback or it was a shank punt or a punt that took a wrong bounce. And now all of a sudden the opposition, as I was mentioning, has to work with half the field. So yeah, it's night and day. They're not hurting themselves. That goes back to where we started this conversation, how you walk that fine line when you play all of these one scoring games, you can't afford to give gifts to the opposition. They're not giving gifts to the opposition. And part of that is the punting game. Yeah, definitely. So I, 
I feel like that kind of wraps up where we are talking about the current state of the Giants. If there's anything else you want to add, please go ahead or else I, I want to talk a little bit about Big Blue Kickoff Live. Sure. Well, listen, I'm all game. I think we certainly covered how promising the first half of the season was. The only thing mm -hmm. I will add is the second half of the season moving forward, and I think we were alluding to this earlier, I'm just curious how this team operates if they can't pound the football consistently through a game. And mm -hmm. the Seattle game, as I mentioned, was a bit of a red flag. How does this team adjust if Daniel has to throw the ball 35 times, mm -hmm. if he has to get into the high 30s, the dynamics of the team change? That, to me, is going to be something to watch, and that very well is going to define the second half of their season. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I think if there's one thing we've seen so far is that the coaching staff has done a really great job of making adjustments, and of course, the players have done a great job of executing. So from a fan perspective, I feel optimistic that based on what I've seen, that I feel confident that we'll see some of that in the second half that we're going to see a better passing game and everything like that. But again, it all comes back to execution. So, you know, we'll see starting on Sunday. Sure. And it comes back to the wide receivers that we talked about. Those guys mm -hmm. stepping up and making, so to your point, there's a lot of factors in the mix, but yes, the coaching staff has handled its business. And that at least gives you confidence that they can adapt and adjust moving forward. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So moving over to Big Blue Kickoff Live, which for those of you who don't know, it is a daily podcast from the Giants. Lance is one of the hosts, along with a few other um, people in the building, and they take calls from fans. So I, I have listened to my fair share of episodes. Well, and we appreciate that, of course. I've called in a couple times as well. Um, it's hard to get through. But oh, yeah. <laughs> there, people are very fans are very opinionated which you know we all know we've been on twitter but from from someone who's listening in you guys do a great job of covering off on everything before you take the calls from the fans how do you maintain a normal blood pressure <laughs> when you have insane calls from people who are just I mean, I see it on Twitter. I mean, when Joe Shane didn't make a trade, I saw tweets saying that Gettleman was a better GM. And I, I thought that was never something I'd ever hear in my lifetime. So <laughs> I just, some of you, you're just very calm and you tell them the facts and I just need to know what that is like. <laughs> well, meaning I take my medication correctly, <laughs> the right dose. Is that what you're Beforehand? insinuating before the show? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I host tons of shows on Sirius XM, so I deal with callers all the time. I mean, it's mm. really not uncharted territory for me. And listen, I understand fans are short for fanatical at the end of the day. People are going to get emotional. They're passionate about their team. I completely understand that. But, you know, I try to stay even keel. That's always mm. my goal when I do a show. I'm not here to get the pom-poms out. And I'm also not here to create doomsday. I'm here to try to keep it down the road. So meaning... When the enthusiasm is through the roof, we have to understand things may balance out. It may not be all of a sudden rosy every single day. And when things don't appear to be great, at the end of the day, things maybe not are not as bad as they appear and things could very well improve. So that's always been my mindset. As far as callers and wild opinions, I mean, listen, it provides for great material. I oh, can't complain absolutely. about that, right? We got something to react to. Do you have to sometimes struggle to pull back the layers of the conversation and try to get us back on the straight and arrow? Yeah, sure. It's always challenging from that standpoint. But no, I mean, I never take them overly too serious. 
that, you know, all of a sudden it's exhausting and you don't enjoy it. It's sports talk at the end of the day. It's not life and death. It's sports right. entertainment. We, we can't lose sleep over in the big picture of things, things that are fun, but they don't necessarily, thankfully, affect our daily lives and our well-being. Mm -hmm. And it's fleeting. You know, when the Giants win, everyone's excited. We're going to the Super Bowl. And then when they lose, you know, we're sure. the worst team ever. And then the whatever. highs so, and the lows. Yes. Yeah. Changes very drastically. Um, so since you mentioned on Sirius, you also do call-ins with different with NBA and MLB and stuff like that. Have you noticed any similarities or differences between fan bases and leagues? So are NFL fans any better or worse than NBA fans or not? That's a good question. I haven't necessarily looked at it through that standpoint. I would say the common element is whether you're a fan of the NBA or the NFL, everybody complains about the officiating. Mm -hmm. If I had a nickel for every time I'd get a phone call about officiating, everybody just goes crazy over the men and women in the zebra shirts. So mm -hmm. I think that's a common element. As far as would I put one sport ahead of the others, maybe baseball's more on the back burner, I would say, in comparison okay. to the NFL and the NBA. And I think part of that is maybe in baseball, we have a little bit more separation in terms of the level of competition in comparison to what we're seeing in the NFL and the NBA, meaning that in the NFL, as you see with the standings right now, there's a lot of teams mathematically in the mix. In mm -hmm. the NBA, because pretty much 50% of the teams make the playoffs, you can really stay in it for the thick of things. Baseball, we've seen some drastic drop-offs based on previous seasons. So I would probably put the height of passion maybe a little bit more from the NBA and the NFL front. But there are passionate fans. They're rowdy in just about every sport across the platform. I, I don't know if I want to give credit <laughs> or give a, a step up to one segment of the fan base versus the others. Yeah, that's probably a good plan. <laughs> So it would make for a good conversation, though. I'm, no doubt about that, especially if you open this up to fans and, you know, they wanted to put their foot down or put their stamp on it. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that would be an interesting conversation. Um, so speaking of some fanatical fans, there is one specific Big Blue Kickoff Live fan who, if you guys have listened to the show, I'm sure that you have heard him call in once or 10 times. And he is Charlie from Maine. And he is, he calls in very often. He's a longtime caller. And I've been listening to the show for a while, but I never got the full backstory on Charlie. And if, if you listen if you've listened in the past or now you're going to start listening, keep an eye out for Charlie. Um, but he, it seems like you guys have a different type of relationship with him than some of the other callers that call in regularly. Like I've heard Len from Maryland and some of, you know, Rick from Tampa, some of those guys, but Charlie is a special breed. And That's one way to put it. <laughs> I, <laughs> Gently. Um, yes. But so how how did the whole Charlie thing start? And what is it like to speak with him so often? Well, you know, I have not spoken to him actually on the program in quite some time. I think he knows to stay uh -oh. away from calling in when uh, I am one of the hosts, because I think he caught the messaging from me that <laughs> we don't necessarily go out of our way to take his phone call. So I have had many interactions with him. In recent history of my luck, though, he'll listen to this program and he'll now all of a sudden go to the opposite end of the spectrum. First of all, thank you for bringing him up. 
within a conversation. I can't say that I've ever fielded a question about a caller into a show, Adriana. So, I mean, you really have oh, taken my. journalism and interviewing to all new heights. I just want you to know <laughs> that I'm going to remember this moment. Nobody has ever asked me a question about a caller involved <laughs> in a show I do. I am now entering uncharted territory. Never thought I'd go here. So that's number yes. one. Well, as far Charlie as, is Yeah, uh, apparently he made quite the impression on you. I oh. can only imagine the rest of our <laughs> listeners and viewers in terms oh, yes. of how they feel. As far as the backstory, boy, we've been doing the show for so long. I can't even tell you when he first called in. I just know that clearly his views and opinions are out there, as you mm. had mentioned. He's not necessarily somebody that thinks always logically and with rationale, if that's one way that I could put it. It's all good and fun. He's known for his lobsters in Maine, of course, which he always mm. refers to. And I, one thing that sticks out to me, if you want some of the backstory is, and this is maybe where he really entered territory, unlike any of callers, he would always complain about the injuries on the team, which I'm sure a lot of fans do. So mm. he would recommend, because he clearly has a medical degree, in case you were wondering, <laughs> he would recommend medication that we should pass on to the front office and the training staff that they should give. There's this cream. It's called Annika. I didn't know that I'd actually recommend it on your show. I have not tried it, so I can't speak from experience, people. But apparently, he's very fond of that medication, and he suggested that we pass it on. I have not had an opportunity to experiment with any okay. of the players or recommend it. I'm still working on maybe getting some pay in terms of the promotion. So as soon mm -hmm. as we work that out, I'll get back to you. But that's okay. what I always remember. He would always have these wacky recommendations, and he loved Will Beatty. He has okay. this fascination with former Giants offensive line, Will Beatty. So every time the Giants would suffer an offensive line injury, he would always recommend they bring back Will Beatty. Whether Will Beatty was <laughs> healthy, whether he was on to new things beyond his NFL career, it made no difference. Mm. He holds a very warm place in his heart for Will Beatty. So he sounds like, based on that specific comparison, he sounds like a lot of Giants fans talking about Odell. There's no concept of reality. And I like Odell. He was an excellent player for the Giants, but he's coming off an ACL tear. He hasn't been on the field. No one knows what he's going to look like when he's on the field. And also we have less than $3 million in cap space, but, but we're going to sign Odell. We're going to sign him to a 10 year $500 million deal. And, you know, it's all going to work out. <laughs> Yeah, there's no limitations in terms of salary cap space. Makes right. no difference. They'll find a way to yep. work out the mathematics and the negotiations will go very smoothly. So, yes, to your point, every fan has one player in particular that they always think very highly of. So his category, it's Will Beatty. If you took another fan, I'm sure, once again, they'd have Odell Beckham or maybe somebody thinks very highly, of course, Eli Manning or Ahmad Bradshaw, Brandon Jacobs, you name it. Mm -hmm. Everybody always pinpoints one player. So he has, once again, a spot for Will Beatty compared to everybody else who's ever put on the Giants uniform. I can't tell you why, but that's the cup of tea that he sips on. Well, I hope that after Andrew Thomas's play this year, maybe he'll have a fond love of Andrew Thomas and add him into his O-line Hall of Fame, if you will. Well, listen, your guess is as good as mine. He was very critical of Evan Neal when Evan Neal had a few practices, so... I don't know. I don't know whether or not that will actually come full circle, but I think that the Giants have some young offensive linemen. You would think he'd start singing a different tune. Yes. Mm. Oh, you'd think. 
one day. Um, so talking about Big Blue Kickoff Live, you do some other radio shows like we talked about with um, Sirius XM. So I'm curious how that came about because I know you've been there for over 13 years too and with the Giants for 14. So what, and this I think is kind of interesting in my opinion, how do you manage both at the same time? Like, What is a day in the life like for you? <laughs> Oh, it's busy. Sounds I'll tell like you're you that. Busy. Yeah. 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 I think you said it best. Yeah. It's a juggling act because so many sports seasons are interwoven. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily do one thing, then that goes away. And then you focus your attention on everything else. It's a lot happening simultaneously. On a given day, I could be doing prep work and work for the Giants. I could be doing play by play prep and I could be preparing for a serious show. So, yeah, it's a lot happening simultaneously. Keeps me busy and keeps me alert. I will tell you that there's not many dull moments or slow times, but you know, like anything else, I treat it like you were in school. And when you prepare for a test and you're writing a research paper, it's piecemeal. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, maybe you crammed and I'm sure a lot of our <laughs> viewers crammed. I wasn't a crammer. I wasn't, you know, I'm going to stay up late one night and just absorb everything. I like to do it progressively over the course of a week. So it's the same approach with respect to assignments for each and every week. But Yeah, it's not as if I delegate or designate one day in particular to certain things. It really can be coming and going in a variety of different ways. And the other thing, when this has come up in conversation with other people that I explain, for example, when it comes to a talk show in particular, because you could get into a variety of topics. I do my serious Mm -hmm. show on Mad Dog Sports Radio, as you were hitting on earlier. I could talk about NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball over the span of three hours. So you say to yourself, you're not going in the night before and all of a sudden studying up on all those sports. Every day you're keeping track of what occurs in sports. You're making mental notes of that. You're reading articles. You're watching TV. So it's sort of an absorption process is my point over the course of a few days leading into whenever that broadcast is coming up. But it's absolutely extremely time consuming. And while I'm sure you've heard a lot of people say, well, it doesn't seem like work when you love what you're doing. I don't disagree with that, but that doesn't mean it's not work. (laughs) There's a lot of heavy lifting that goes into it. So yes, I love what I do, but that doesn't mean that there's not sacrifices and a lot of heavy lifting that goes into the process of it. Yeah, definitely. Well, and you mentioned the the play-by-play calling that you do for Columbia, and I know some fans, and and I think we've all been there at some point. I know it was a big thing during the uh, Yankees playoffs, people talking about the announcers. So what is it like to do the play-by-play? And is it, I I know that obviously it's very difficult, especially if you're doing something like basketball when it's so fast-paced. What is it like to do that? And how do you kind of stay on top of it so quickly without you know, worrying about any type of mistakes or not getting your words out fast enough, anything like that. It sounds like it's very challenging. Yeah, you could get tongue-tied very quickly, to your point. Well, first of all, radio play-by-play is the true art of play-by-play, first of all, because radio basketball play-by-play specifically, which is what I love, yeah, I mean, there is rarely a second or two to slow down. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had the Great pleasure of calling the NCAA men's tournament for Westwood One Sports this past season. I did the first four games in Dayton, Ohio. And, you know, that was obviously a big career highlight of mine. You know, A, you got to learn players that you're not watching on a daily basis. But to your point, the action in the blink of an eye, I mean, it's happening. So 
you know, you focus on the task at hand. You make sure you can identify the player. You know the terminology to describe the game. It's the game that if you ask me to rank the sports accordingly, basketball has always been my first love. I have always held that sport in a certain level compared to everything else because I grew up playing it and I've been so passionate about it. So the fact that it's pretty much in my blood, you know, makes it relatively smooth of a transition to describe the game and talk about the game because I'm talking about something as if I was on the court as a little kid in the Mm -hmm. schoolyard. And I've pretty much taken that approach with me ever since. But yeah, it's an art. I I think that's what you were hitting on. Play by play is an art. You know, just like a painter takes out a brush and there's certain things that they need to do to get to the finished product. Play by play is no different. And it's a different art when you're doing radio play by play versus TV play by play, because radio, I've got to paint that picture for you. You're not seeing anything. TV, I've got the complement of what you're seeing. So I don't have to be as detailed, maybe shorter phrases, the descriptions change. So, you know, that is a whole new school of thought in -hmm. comparison to radio. But like anything else, by years and years of practice and studying, you get comfortable. And it's no different than if you were a writer or my father's an auctioneer, speaking of people that talk fast. So, wow. you know, maybe it's in the blood. You know, right. I, I've watched him and I mean, he can speed off words like it's nothing. So that's an art. Mm-hmm. And you learn and you wonder as a little kid, you're like, how is he doing this? I mean, you get all of those numbers like crazy. It's practice crazy. and it becomes second nature. Yeah. I think the one thing as fans we can all take away from this is maybe to be a little bit gentler on the announcers because it is just so difficult. Yes. No, and, and you bring up a great point. And these are the conversations I really love to have to maybe give the perspective of the other side. Mm-hmm. I'm not one that criticizes announcers very much. I mean, granted, I listen to my fair share of broadcasts like anybody else who's not in the industry, but when you understand a, what it takes to prepare for a broadcast, B things that go on in the booth. So, you know, you can understand why maybe something was missed or there was a little bit of a hiccup. It, it, once again, it gives you a different perspective. That doesn't mean that people are not entitled to their opinions and you're passionate about sports. You can be critical like anything else. You don't need to ask people permission, but when you understand the nuances of what goes on in the industry, I think you said it beautifully. It gives you a little bit of a different lens. Mm-hmm. A different perspective, definitely. Sure. And I think, you know, we we touched briefly on the um, the refereeing and some of the missed calls and stuff. And I think the same sentiment needs to go towards that as well, because it's, it's just the nature of the game and it's going to continue to change every year, especially when we talk about the NFL with the roughing the passer calls and the OPI and all of that kind of stuff, you know, it's always going to evolve and change, but you know, we've had calls go our way and we've had calls not go our way. And at the end of the day, it's, it's somehow always going to even out in the wash, I hope, but you know, it's a, it's a difficult job. These guys don't do it full time. So I think just like the announcing that people, you know, need to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And I think once again, you were spot on in terms of your perspective. It's something I preach a lot on even big blue kickoff live. I've said it time and time again, where, I try to put myself in the shoes of an official and you see things at full speed and mm-hmm. there's a lot going on on the field. It's understandable. You're going to miss things. It's very difficult when you don't have the luxury of instant replay like the rest of us do 
when yep. we're sitting comfortably in our homes and you're like, well, how did he miss this? Or how did she miss this? Well, they don't see it in slow motion like we do. So things are going to happen. I, I think here's the thing, though. If you really put a referee under the microscope, the majority of the calls, they really are on point in getting. The problem is it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, right? We were talking about the punter and the offensive line. Yep. You don't talk about them when they make the right calls. You don't talk about it because it's just expected. Right. Like, we got to take a step back and realize a lot of what they call is right on point. And they have a very strong view of that. It's just the ones that they miss get thrown under the microscope and you're like, oh, it's a killer. It strikes wrong in terms of the timing. It hurts momentum. And I always say that's the human element and the human nature of the game. Good teams overcome bad calls, vice versa. And that's how you really just have to suck it up. Yeah, definitely. And we saw that happen during the Jaguars game. That that last minute was the longest minute of my life. Yeah. But at the end of the day, <laughs> the defense prevailed, even though they had to deal with call after call after call during that sure. last drive. No, and I think that's a great point. There were three defensive penalties on that final drive, and Jaguars are striking. And all of a sudden, it looks like they have everything working in their favor. And McKinney and Love and Fabian Moreau come in and make a big stop. So that's a sign of we're not going to let the officials mm -hmm. get in the way of execution. And that goes back to my point. Good teams find a way. And the Giants certainly qualify right now at 6-2 and two as a good team that has found multiple ways to win games. Exactly. Um, I want to touch on one other thing, too. I, I'm starting to watch a little more college football than I have in the past because I want to be more prepared for the draft now. So obviously, oh, way too really early. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm watching my life here. Relax. I know. Let's enjoy the rest of the season. I know. I'm not ready. I I watched the Notre Dame Clemson game last week, which was excellent. But I am I went to University of South Carolina, so anytime I oh, get to Gamecock. watch Clemson, okay. yes, and anytime SEC I get country. to watch Clemson lose is a beautiful thing. I see. Okay. <laughs> Gotcha. But so I know some people are starting to talk about the draft, and I don't really want to go there. But I noticed that for Westwood One Radio Network, you cover the draft. So what is that experience like? And obviously, I'm I'm sure you do hours and hours of prep work prior to it. And when you're doing that, do you have to hold back any sort of bias when you talk about the Giants, since you're doing it for that network, not the Giants? Well, we do a lot of draft coverage, obviously, on Big Blue Kickoff Live, especially mm -hmm. in the offseason. Well, let me make this clear, first of all. If we're laying out the college history, I went to NYU. NYU okay. doesn't have a football team, okay? <laughs> so if you're accusing me of being biased, I'm not saying you were, but if <laughs> anyone out there is accusing me of being biased, where's the bias coming from? NYU hasn't had a football team since the turn of the century, okay? <laughs> well before I was on this world or even a thought. So mm -hmm. I don't have a college football team. To right. answer your question, I don't have any rooting interest. So I am completely unbiased. I look at everybody pretty much on the same wavelength. Are there certain schools that maybe I don't love? And it has to do more with a broadcasting angle with the other individuals that came out of that program. I'm just alluding to something. I'm not going to reveal what. Yes, maybe that influences some of my opinions. Okay, I won't deny that. But no, it's not difficult to get back to the question at hand because. I don't have anything against any particular school and I don't root for one particular football team. I just like the sport overall, especially since I call games. But right. as far as covering it and studying up, 
once again, like you're following college football now, I'm doing the same thing. So you're watching players as the mm-hmm. season progresses. And then once we get into draft season, what we do specifically on Big Blue Kickoff Live, which I think is a help, is we invite reporters on who cover all of the prominent schools. So when you're getting ready to interview that reporter, you're studying up specifically on that school. So by the time you get to the draft, we've covered just about every school that you've got a nice grasp of the majority of the prospects. Of course, there's going to be players you miss. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't know every seventh round pick or undrafted players. It's impossible. There's yeah. so many more players, right, that are in the draft and in the NFL overall because there's only 53 guys on a roster. But similar to the approach every single week, it's something that takes months and months of preparation. That's not something you do in the span of a few days. Be virtually yeah. impossible. Yeah, that's not a cram session. No, not at all. And if somebody does that, I'd love to meet them and have a conversation with them because yeah. I'll take some pointers. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So one last question here before I let you go. Do you have any bold predictions for the second half of the Giants season? So we know I know we touched on earlier a little bit of what we would like to see. But do you have any record predictions? Do you think Saquon is going to get well over 1,000 yards? Anything like that? Wow. Good question. We did a lot of bold predictions before the season. Mm -hmm. I wasn't necessarily thinking the midway point. Do I want to adjust my thinking and so forth? If you want to get a bold prediction, I'll go from an individual standpoint. I think the way it's looking right now, you probably could see maybe three guys make the Pro Bowl. Mm -hmm. If you want to classify that as a bold prediction, I'm going a little bit outside the box because I don't know if I would have said that before the season. If three guys at least minimum have a legitimate shot to make the Pro Bowl, and I'm talking about clearly Saquon Barkley, Andrew Thomas, I think you can make a very strong case. And then pick who you want on defense. Dexter Lawrence, he's making a name for himself. Maybe one of the guys in the secondary. I mean, McKinney now is going to be sidelined because of the broken fingers. So, you know, that hurts his cause. But it's very possible, once again, three guys make the Pro Bowl. And that, to me, is pretty bold given where this team was in the early stages of the season. So, I mean, that would be one that I'm thinking about off the top of my head. I mean, Saquon is on pace to probably have a boatload of yards. So I don't know if I want to necessarily go there. The one thing, though, that a lot of people pointed out that I sort of tried to bring them back from and rein them in is Daniel Jones, we're talking about, I mean, look at the touchdowns to interceptions. There were some people thinking he could get into that 30 touchdown total range, maybe even 35. And I said, first of all, nobody makes that significant of a jump in one season. Right. I think it's highly unlikely that Daniel Jones is going to get to 30 touchdown passes given he's in the single digits right now. But hey, If he continues to protect the football like he's doing and they run the ball effectively, here's the beauty of the regular season and real-life NFL games. They're not dictated based on fantasy numbers. You don't get style points. So if you can still win like this, you have a legitimate shot moving forward here. Yeah. I think Andrew Thomas is could be an all pro this year, sure. the way he's playing. I made over the summer, I I play around on DraftKings a little bit. I'm not a huge sports better, but I decided what the heck. So I put a couple dollars on Brian Dable winning coach of the year okay. before the season because I'm a psycho. Well, that's and well, that's I, a bold one. You'll you'll make <laughs> a lot on that if it turns out to be true. So that's good. Those are the bets you should make. 
Okay. Right. And and look at me. He, the way he's going, he just might win. He's making a very strong case. He's got some competition from Nick Sirianni and Kevin mm -hmm. O'Connell and the Vikings. But no, he's definitely a top five choice. There's no doubt about it right now. Okay, so yeah. that was one. That was so one. What, I also bet um, Kayvon, Defensive Player of the Year. Okay. That's Aggressive. extremely bold. Yes. Yes. And then I bet Daniel Jones, Comeback Player of the Year. Okay, another good one. Yeah, all good ones because there's a lot to gain from it if it comes to fruition. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I like it's that. I mean, I would say one of the three, you're in very good shape. Mm -hmm. Daniel Jones, he's got also a lot of competition yes. for the comeback player of the year. There's been a lot of guys who dealt with injuries or maybe mm -hmm. they weren't in the lineup. For example, Geno Smith, the quarterback that the Giants just went up against, he's probably going to get a lot of consideration from that. And, Thibodeau missing a bulk of the season already, yeah. that I think damaged his opportunity to maybe even do enough in the second half to get him the defensive player of the year. Yeah, definitely. So we'll see. Um, optimistic in the offseason. I'm still optimistic now. But sure. before you go, tell everyone where they can find you. We know you're on Big Blue Kickoff Live, but where can they find you on social and listen to you on Sirius? Sure. Well, on social, on Twitter, at Lance Meadow. And as you show in terms of your correctly spelled last name that is popping up here on the screen, M-E-D-O-W is the last name. So that's my Twitter handle. And then on Sirius, I'm on Sirius XM Mad Dog Sports Radio. That is channel 82. I have shows every Saturday and Sunday, 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern. And then I'm on NFL Radio, channel 88, all across the board. I do post-game shows after the Monday night, Thursday night games, during the day, morning, you name it. So you follow me on social media. I promote all of the shows that are coming up. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining. Great to Absolutely. talk to you. And go oh, listen, It was a pleasure having me on the program. Thanks so much for the invite and enjoyed the conversation. And yeah, it should be an exciting second and a half of the season. Here's the bottom line. We got some meaningful football ahead, which yes. is going to be very nice and very refreshing. Yes, definitely. Something to look forward to. No doubt about that. Absolutely. Thank you.